Welcome to the Transport Hub Podcast, a podcast series created by the Transport Research Hub at University College Dublin. I am your host, Porik Carroll. This podcast series seeks to disseminate research, industry innovations, and policy in the area of transportation and mobility. Hello and welcome to the Transport Hub Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Anne Graham, who is Chief Executive Officer of the National Transport Authority of Ireland. Anne, and within the authority, is responsible for the provision, regulation and integration of public transport services, the provision of supporting uh, infrastructure for sustainable transport and for driving greater use of sustainable transport as a mode of choice. Anne previously worked with the authority as Director of Public Transport Services, on the regulation and provision of public transport services nationally. Prior to joining the NTA, she worked in the Dublin local authorities as a chartered civil engineer in the drainage, roads and traffic divisions, as a project manager on the development of Dublin's O'Connell Street area, and as a manage- area manager in the southwest area of the city. So thanks very much, Anne, for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks, Parik. I'm delighted to be here. Great. So maybe we can give the listeners an insight into what your role involves, um, what a typical day maybe might look like for you. Yeah, so as CEO, um, I'm obviously responsible for driving the uh, strategy of the authority forward. Um, so a lot of what's involved in that is actually monitoring our progress, checking in with uh, my managers, my team on how we're progressing on different projects. Um, different decisions that we have to make. So a lot of the work that I do, a lot of internal meetings um, a lot of me- meetings with external stakeholders, delivery stakeholders as well. Um, so it's really around uh, program management at the highest level in terms of delivery of uh, the strategies and the programs that we're responsible for delivering. Um, and I'm also kind of responsible for, you know, um, uh, promoting, I suppose, the work of the authority, um, both in terms of media, but also in engaging with the wider transport, um, I suppose, family um, and by attending conferences, presenting on the work that we do um, presenting to the media uh, on different issues. So, yeah, it's I'm the front face of the authority um, and um, I use every opportunity I can, I suppose, to present our work to show what how important the work uh, is that we're doing um, and the resources that we have and the, you know, the fantastic staff and resources that have been made available to us, you know, to deliver um, more sustainable infrastructure and services for the country. So you're in this position quite a number of years at this stage, but could you maybe outline your career to date and, um, you know, from your studies to where you are today? Yeah, so um, so I graduated in 1985 as a civil engineer from, from UCD. Um, uh, I was I graduated at a time of I suppose deep economic crisis in the country. The eighties was not um, uh, a place where there was many opportunities in Ireland. Um, but I was one of the few people that actually got a job uh, in uh, Dublin, um, working with Dublin um, local authorities starting in Dunleary first. So initially, I started working on the drainage side of things, water and drainage, um, and so I've been in the depths of many underground places in Dublin. So I've seen the depths and I've seen the heights of places um, because um, I was also responsible for the delivery of the spire on O'Connell Street as project manager for O'Connell Street. So I had a huge uh, varied career in Dublin City Council in particular. Uh, So I spent nearly 30 years there working very different, all kinds of different departments. And as a large local authority, uh, I was, you know, got many opportunities to do all kinds of different jobs, including 
being the technical director for the, when the Tour de France came to Dublin uh, in 1998. So that was really given that I have an interest in cycling and um, that was a really exciting thing to do and meeting all the um, famous riders at, the, at that time. So, yeah, I've had huge opportunities and I've really enjoyed uh, my local authority work. And then I got the opportunity to come uh, and help um, the CEO at the time, Jerry Murphy, to, to set up um, the National Transport Authority um, at the end of the in 2009 and so I worked in different roles on the corporate side then as Director of Transport Service, Public Transport Services and then CEO and I'm, I'm in my almost in my ninth year now as, as CEO of the NTA so yeah huge uh, variety of work both on as I said on the water drainage side of civil engineering to the transport side and earlier on I had uh, completed a Master's in Transport Engineering um, in the uh, 1990s, also in UCD. And it, that was a, a new programme that was developed um, to actually uh, to educate, I suppose, engineers, particularly in the lead up to what was going to be um, a very extensive road infrastructure uh, programme. So it was, it was, um, I think, was work developed uh, in association with um, the National Roads Authority at the time. So it was kind of building that expertise in uh, in engineering in order to facilitate that. I didn't really use it very much once <laughs> I worked in the Dunport Tunnel Office for a period of time. Um, but then I moved more onto the administrative side uh, of the local authorities, more on the corporate services side, project management side, and then uh, as an area manager working on service delivery in, a, in, a, in the southwest of the city. So I was delighted then to bring my engineering skills and my transport skills uh, and education together with my management skills that I developed in the local authorities to be uh, supporting the um, authority as it developed and then to lead the authority now. Mm-hmm. And did you always have an interest in transport or did that, as a civil engineer, did that develop over time? That developed over time. So uh, in terms of what I, I um, focused on in my final years, it was more on the water and engineering side. But when we, when you work as a local authority engineer, um, particularly if you're trying to progress your career, um, the at that stage you you were advised to have both roads and water in your portfolio in order to be able to progress your career. That was, you know, not to be an expert in, in any one area. So that's why I had. Although it started in water engineering and, and you know, I, I enjoyed it in, in wastewater engineering. Um, I did want to move onto the roadside in order to be able to develop my career further. So, so yes, the, the master's came at an ideal time in order for me to develop my skills in traffic and um, and roads transportation. As a leading voice in transport and also leading woman in transport, how do you view the current landscape for women working in the transport profession and also in civil engineering, generally speak? Has it changed a lot since you maybe started in this area? So, I mean, I suppose I'm only familiar with how few women there are in the transport sector only recently, obviously, uh, in the last 10 years or so. But I'd be very much aware uh, how few women there are in the engineering profession as a whole. Um, And unfortunately, that position hasn't really changed even since I've qualified. So there was a little bit of an uplift at the time um, in the 80s. Um, but I think it's stayed fairly static since then, actually, and hasn't really grown beyond 17, 20 percent, you know, that kind of those kind of numbers. So, I mean, there's an awful lot of reasons um, for that. It, women don't seem to be um, interested in the um, 
the maths and the physics side of things, they find it more challenging. And certainly I found it challenging when I started and I did struggle in my uh, engineering course. So I took five years to, to complete my four year course, but I got there in the end. But yeah, there is a it is a difficult uh, degree um, and I think unfortunately women tend to be put off by the the that side of it. Um, so yes, by providing role models and I'm very much conscious now that I'm more I am a role model uh, by being a woman working both in transportation, but also as a civil engineer. Um, and I now uh, consider and certainly in the last few years, consider that I should be doing a lot more to kind of present myself uh, as a woman in this space. Whereas before, I probably tended to underplay that actually to just be part of the engineering um, world and the transportation world without really focusing on gender. But now I think it is more important to actually focus on that, to use those uh, and to use my visibility to hopefully promote and encourage more women to become part of um, a really important part of the engineering space, the transport space. Absolutely. So do you have any thoughts on what could be done, what more could be done then to encourage more women into this field? Well, I think role models are, you know, a very powerful way of um, encouraging uh, people into engineering to start off with. I mean, I, I it was an, a role model. It wasn't a female role model, but it was a male role model um, that uh, came into school, uh, into my secondary school, presented as a, it was a parent of one of my uh, school colleagues who presented what he did, what uh, how he worked. And he was a chemical engineer, actually also, uh, I think, of UCD. Um, and he encouraged me or it certainly awakened something in me around um, engineering and what that could mean and you know what that what I could do um, in, in in my career. So I think the earliest uh, and the more that we can do with schools to to highlight the work of uh, engineers. And I know there's a huge amount that um, Engineers Ireland do in that space with the STEPS programme. Um, I just think we need to ramp it up even more and uh, encourage even more female engineers that as part of their work, they would consider, you know, being role models, uh, particularly in their in their schools. And anything in particular that the NTA are doing in respect to this? Well, um, we've just got to a point where we're now considering our diversity and inclusion strategy for the organisation. And obviously we want to be at least as reflective of the wider environment uh, in terms of um, gender uh, balance within the organisation. What we're looking at now is is um, developing a graduate programme um, for graduates, um, hopefully starting next year. Um, and in that programme, we will ensure that it, there's at least a 50-50 balance, like so we'll be gender balanced completely um, and we'll deliberately have it gen- gender balanced. So, um, so that's the start of our kind of drive to ensure that we uh, try to increase uh, the number um, and the the number of of female engineers. We do have a a quite a large number already working in the organisation, but we also want to encourage them more in their uh, careers as well. So one of the things that certainly worked uh, or that I was part of in Dublin City Council was a network of uh, women at a particular grade and it's particularly when I moved into the more administrative grades, that group and that network enabled me to be much more confident in what I was doing and in the work. And I had somewhere to go if I needed advice. 
Um, so it's one of the things that we're looking at at different grade levels within the NTA is providing that network for women that they can feel um, um, to go to get advice from their colleagues um, and to feel more confident in what they're doing and build their confidence up so that they can develop themselves even further uh, in the organisation. So they're the kind of two areas that we're we're working on at the moment. And hopefully we'll see more female engineers and female transport engineers in the coming years. Um, so in terms of the NTA, generally speaking, then, um, like any country, a national transport authority plays a pivotal role in shaping a country's transport uh, landscape. Um, could you maybe give an overview of some of the key strategies and initiatives that the NTA are currently focused on in, um, in terms of enhancing transportation uh, systems across Ireland? So um, I suppose we take our lead from the national strategies that are there already. So uh, we don't operate in a vacuum. And I suppose the key national strategies for us are the uh, the national planning framework, the um, national development plan, um, and then the two key strategies now that have been developed by government are the sustainable mobility policy by the Department of Transport and then the climate action plan. So um, and the, you know, the iterations of the climate action plan. So that has set out, you know, quite significant work for us in terms of what we need to deliver on the transport uh, in the transport space in terms of reduction in climate emissions and in providing much higher capacity in our public transport system. And from those, then we develop uh, strategies, uh, transport strategies for the cities, um, the metropolitan areas. We have a statutory function in the in the Greater Dublin area. That's part of our um, the legislation in setting us up. We were initially going to be just a Dublin Transport Authority, and that's how the legislation is kind of framed. So we are statutorily required to provide um, a transport strategy every six years for the Greater Dublin area. Um, and those are now in place. On a non-statutory basis, we've worked with the local authorities of our metropolitan cities to develop strategy, transport strategies for those. Um, and all cities have a transport strategy now. Galway um, is now under review because it was by 2016 when that, tra- that transport strategy was last done. So um, that work is underway. So in that, we set targets and we set out what infrastructure needs to be put in place in order to meet um, the sustainable uh, transport goals, um, reduce the car dependency, you know, the car mode um, uh, share and improve the walking, cycling and public transport share. And we haven't forgotten about rural Ireland because we've uh, uh, developed a strategy called Connecting Ireland around improving public transport services uh, also in rural Ireland. But we'll probably talk about that in a bit more detail. Sure, yeah. Of course, there are key challenges then um, with any transport sector in decarbonising and encouraging sustainable mode shift. But what would you see as the main challenges that uh, the NTA are experiencing and uh, what steps are the NTA taking to address them? So um, I suppose the, the key challenge that we are facing and we're facing it as a country is that um, there has been a very significant underinvestment over over many years in sustainable transport. So, and in the decade post the economic crash, where there was very little investment, we really have to play a very rapid catch up on the lack of investment in those years in that decade, as well as previous decades of not investing, where we were very heavily uh, investing on the road infrastructure, but um, the sustainable transport infrastructure really took a back seat. So it's around, I suppose, uh, gearing up um, all of the programmes that we want to deliver now to kind of catch up, to get to a point where we can 
actually expand our capacity in all our public transport services, bus, rail, light rail, um, and then, you know, provide safe walking and cycling infrastructure as well on the street, reallocating road space, you know, for the sustainable transport, you know, um, getting, I suppose, enough sufficient funding in order to be able to do that. So um, we would hope that in any review of the NTP, we would see an even higher proportion of the uh, funding being made available for sustainable transport because as it currently stands, there's not enough funding to do what we wanted uh, want to deliver. So that would be kind of the main challenge. There's always a challenge around, um, I suppose, selling the idea of, you know, road reallocation in particular, um, because it does impact on people's on the road outside their house, but also in some cases through bus connects, we're actually um, CPOing, uh, per, you know, parts of people's uh, private property as well in order to provide more space for sustainable transport. So that can be challenging. But um, I think when you have an overall objective, which is going to improve people's lives, uh, how they travel around um, their uh, their cities um, and their urban spaces, and you're trying to improve the urban space, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's a good thing to sell, you know, it's a good project to sell or to try and sell. So there's there is they're the kind of challenges, I suppose, that we're facing Im- immediately. Um, um, there are other challenges around even just to deliver the Bus Connects uh, network of services, the additional services. There are constraints now in the economy that are just um, unfortunately having an impact on how quickly we can do that. And um, the first being like driver constraints, you know, driver um employing uh, more drivers um, and that is slowing down unfortunately our delivery um, which we would like to have in place and the network of services in place before we actually start working on the bus connects infrastructure but it looks like um, based on the employment figures and the other challenges and trying to attract more people into the country that may take a, a slower pace so there are challenges um, uh, but we face up to them and we try and find solutions to those. So then in terms of technological innovations with the rise of new technologies and new mobility solutions, how are the authority uh, adapting its strategies to embrace innovation in the transportation sector and you know, modernise the transportation sector? So um, I suppose one of the things that we've struggled with as well is that uh, in terms of integrating our transport services is around ticketing in particular and ticketing equipment. Um, and when when we were working on the Leap card system, which is a great integrating product and has worked very successfully in integrating services, it's a great platform uh, for integration. But uh, I suppose when we uh, developed it, it was working off uh, very old, very old ticketing systems that were in place at that time. So they weren't updated at the time. So now when we come to try and do innovative things like being able to make uh, card payments on our systems, they're just too old to be able to support that. Now, we are already planning to uh, to to do next generation ticketing, which is actually moving from a card based system, leap card based system, smart card system to an account based ticketing system. And we're um, we're well in the procurement phase for that. And we're hoping to appoint a, a, a contractor next early next year to start working on that for us. But it does mean that our ticketing equipment also has to be uh, upgraded as well in order to be able to facilitate a much more integrated system. Um, so 
those because it's a very large IT project, huge uh, technology, uh, building a, a back a back office to be able to take all those complicated transactions, um, it will take a bit of time. And uh, we would have liked to have started this, you know, five years ago, you know. But we're this is the position that we're in now, um, and we hope that our customers remain patient with us as we uh, put this infrastructure in place. So. That kind of uh, technology and system will allow us to, to be much more innovative in the type of products that we can offer to be able to offer uh, discounts post payment um, so that the more you uh, travel sustainably, you could be uh, given more of a discount rather than having to get your discount upfront in purchasing an annual ticket or a, a monthly ticket or something like that. It would allow us maybe to offer to, you know, to offer family uh, tickets, which is always a challenge because um, how you match um, uh, tickets together to a a family group or um, a number of people travelling together. So that again, once that is in place, we we would be in a much better position to offer better value for family travel in particular. So so I'm excited to see how that project is going to um, going to come um, and uh, we'll see um, what we can offer. It can also then be the platform for um, mobility as a service, which is obviously uh, has the ability then to integrate not just um, public transport services, but also those that are provided by uh, private operators, whether that's car sharing, bike sharing um, and scooter sharing in in the future. Um, So the platform has been set up as a payment platform that could actually also integrate those uh, services as well. Um, so that's an exciting place to be um, and we just um, uh, need to get it delivered now so that we can offer those. Um, we obviously, all the technologies are all being refreshed as now the automatic vehicle location technology which tracks our bus services in particular. Uh, we're going through a process of upgrading those and retendering and pro- uh, providing a new integrated uh, service. We get an awful lot of data from that in terms of service delivery and um um, and where how, and from the ticketing systems, we also get data around how people are traveling, where they're traveling to times a day. We're bringing all that data together into a data lake. Um, we've been building that lake uh, for a number of years now. Um, we did use some of that data during COVID in particular to try and see uh, where we had capacity issues when when there was capacity restrictions. So we can see huge um, developments, certainly in using our data much more um, effectively uh, in the future. But it's around getting that data uh, in one place so that it can be used um, to to make innovations in, in how we deliver services in the future. Mm-hmm. So on the account-based ticketing uh, system, is that kind of to go beyond your typical contactless payments for debit cards? It's kind of a, to act as a more of a mechanism for encouraging travel behaviour change as well. Yes, exactly, because it's much more flexible way of doing that. Like any time we make a change to our ticketing system now, uh, it takes almost about 16 weeks of a lead in time before we even change. Um, so when we were doing the, the reduction in fares, the 20 percent reduction or introducing the young adult card, there's a long lead in time to do that, um, which is uh, is encouraging it certainly encouraged um, a recovery in public transport usage, but it's not something that can be done overnight. Whereas with an account-based system, you could um, 
you can send out a message to all your your slave, I suppose, uh, ticketing systems, you know, that the fare is now changed to this and that can be done overnight, you know. So um, or you can do a discount post, you know, if people have paid already for the services um, and they've reached a particular cap on an annual basis, that could be an annual cap and they don't have to pay anymore, you know. So there's lots of ways that we can use the system to be able to offer discounts which could encourage use. And is this system in operation in other countries in Europe, for example? Or? Well, there are account systems, yeah, in, in operation um, in, in London and in the bigger cities. You know, it also means as well, while the Leap Card system has been used mostly on our um, urban services um, and is available on our uh, bus services, our regional bus services, it's not really set up for use on um, rail services. So again, the account system, you know, would bring all of the family, um, transport family together and the potential to bring private operators into it as well. In terms of accessibility and inclusivity, what initiatives are the NTA undertaking to enhance accessibility and inclusivity for all members of the community um, across different transportation options? So there's a huge amount going on in this space because we recognise that, you know, there are quite a number of barriers uh, still in place uh, for those uh, with uh, particularly with mobility issues in terms of uh, accessing our services um, on the general accessibility, the wider accessibility, um, like we are trying to provide as n- as many services as we can, both spatially, you know, we're trying to extend uh, where we provide services spatially and also through the day, you know, and into the nighttime as well to try and, and provide more services uh, to cater for the demand. Um, but then in terms of the physical infrastructure, um, particularly on um, accessibility to our bus services, there uh, are now all our urban services are fully wheelchair accessible with ramp access at the front. Um, we still have to do more on our regional bus services. And we we actually um, commissioned um, a new type of fleet, actually, with the ramp access at the front for our regional bus services, for our longer distance services, to allow that uh, accessibility to, because for many of the services that would have a wheelchair lift, um, it required uh, 24 hour notice to be able to ensure that that lift was available, that bus service was available. So we're trying to get to a point where uh, for those right across the country on our bus services it would be turn up and go rather than having to book in advance. And then on the rail side um, um, so all the new fleet are fully accessible internally um, but there is the challenge of accessing the platforms or accessing from platform to train um, and that's required, a ramp is required so that that does need an uh, individual um, to be there to be able to assist but the new um, DART fleet is being designed with um, which will have a ramp, an automatic ramp that will come out to to um, close the gap so that it will allow a little bit more self-service from those that have mobility issues. Um, but there is work that has to be done in the platforms in order to be able to ensure um, that the accessibility uh, is much is much better than it currently is. We Irishrail, we have funded Irishrail to do work on their lifts to provide more lift access. Um, so we're working through the stations bit by bit now to try and ensure that there's lift access to both platforms, that the lifts are monitored so um, that they uh, there's less um, opportunity for them to be damaged because that impacts on uh, accessibility and just continuing to build in um, 
accessibility into all the um, the work that we do, particularly in our new infrastructure, but working to retrofit as much of our uh, infrastructure that we currently have that is inaccessible to being fully accessible. So, And in terms of transportation infrastructure, how much does public-private partnerships play a role in the development and improvement of such infrastructure in Ireland? So in terms of public transport services uh, and infrastructure, um, we don't have any uh, public-private partnerships like you would have on the road infrastructure side. Um, there is a part of the Metrolink delivery does include um, a PPP element um, in terms of the service delivery, um, the infrastructure around the fleet and the um, the supporting infrastructure. Um, that is proposed. That's part of the procurement strategy. Um, so obviously an awful lot of our services are delivered by the private sector um, and we it's not in a partnership way, but certainly uh, many of our contracts are delivered uh, by the private sector. And I can see then um, when we're looking at the last mile delivery, uh, both urban in urban and rural areas, that there will be a role, uh, there currently is a role for the private sector to play, that they are playing already in terms of bike sharing schemes and uh, scooter sharing schemes of the future, you know, to make that connection. Um, and that will be a role, there would be, certainly be a role for the private sector in that space as well. That actually brings me to my next point uh, in terms of micromobility and and. And even broader than that, uh, looking at other modes, but we'll get to that in a second. So in, in terms of the growing interest in alternative modes like micro-ability, electric bikes, electric scooters, which is, uh, you know, on foot of the roads, uh, Road Traffic and Roads Act, how, how does the NTA regulate and integrate these services or how do they propose to do this um, uh, with the existing transport network? Um, so I don't think we'll have a regulatory role as such. You know, I don't think we'll necessarily, I think it possibly might be more on the local authority level that they will I suppose regulate in terms of the number of schemes like they currently do in terms of shared bike schemes um, um, so that there will be a number of licenses you know for those schemes in particular locations. I think our role is to ensure that um, there's future integration in those schemes and that they're set up and the local authorities set them up so that they can be integrated into the wider um, public transport network. There's a lot of work um, that's going on in terms of looking at mobility hubs in different locations. And I know we're um, we're certainly working with both the Department of Transport and with local authorities on, lo- on looking at locations where we might trial pilot some mobility hubs um, where you would have uh, at the end maybe of uh, a particular public transport service the ability to either take car share or a a, a shared bike from those locations onto your last mile or um, so those that kind of work is is underway and I think it's probably more our role will be more about ensuring that we get integration than necessarily uh, regulation. And in terms of ride sharing is that also something that the NTA is interested in or exploring? So ride sharing in uh, that's a little bit more ch- challenging from our legislation point of view because we are the taxi regulator um, so uh, the the way our our um, taxi um, infrastructure or our taxi services are set up, they are regulated, um, and the ride sharing type Uber type uh, service um, is not um, allowed under our legislation in 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 Ireland. However, um, you know car sharing. Um, uh, particularly um, if it's between people that know one another or where there's no 
transfer of money is is allowed under the legislation. But there is, uh, I suppose, and the legislation allows for community car schemes, you know, for hackneys uh, and local area hackneys as well to provide kind of services. But the the ride sharing, um, ride hailing is is not something that's covered by our legislation. And we kind of feel that if, if it was introduced, um, you couldn't have a, a, a regulated sector as well as an unregulated sector. It's either one or the other. Um, so, I mean, that's all we're suggesting. If if the policy, government policy changes in that space um, and the legislation changes, well, then obviously we will manage that. But as we're currently um uh, we're required to manage the legislation that we have, which actually does mean that if you are providing a service in a car, in a private car, you have to be a licensed driver and the vehicle has to be licensed. So so we, we manage in that space. But in, in, I mean, in the future, this could change depending on how policy changes. It could change. Yeah, yeah I, I don't see it. Uh, immediately but um, and I don't really see that it will drive more numbers uh, to provide and to meet the demand um, because uh, because I think it would undermine the the uh, as I said the regulated sector so it would just mean you would have a sector transferring the numbers would transfer from the regulated sector to the unregulated but it wouldn't necessarily grow the sector um, and really that's what you'd like to see is how can you grow the sector and we're looking to see uh, and encourage um, uh, a recovery in the um, in the taxi sector, which is occurring. We haven't quite got back to pre-COVID levels, but we're nearly there. Um, and encourage uh, improvements in the fleet to be more wheelchair, wheelchair accessible, but also um, to move to um, low emission and zero emission fleet as well, which has been incentivized uh, by the department. So you've touched a lot on there um, about urban transport and in our cities, but uh, if you look broader than that, then our kind of regional transport strategies and how uh, rural areas are incorporated into that and the linkages with the Connecting Ireland programme. How does the authority working to create an integrated, uh, sustainable and integrated uh, network that caters for both areas? So obviously we have uh, transport strategies and transport plans and network plans for our cities uh, through our transport strategies which were and Bus Connects is our programme of delivery in our uh, urban spaces um, and we've just not only working in Dublin but also Cork, Galway, Limerick and Waterford um, and we will have Bus Connects network plans you know for all cities um, by the end of this year but then when you move outside the cities um, we we notice that there's a gap in terms of what is what is the appropriate level of bus provision in urban in rural Ireland um, and we, we carried out a significant programme um, of uh, uh, public consultation it was through COVID, unfortunately, but we did go out uh, and present uh, plans around how we could get a minimum level of service of at least three services per day from a, a very local village to their next um, town. Um, do it in a reasonable uh, frequency and uh, a reasonable journey length as well. So we set up um, a plan with a network of services to provide that minimal level of um, of frequency, in many cases a much higher frequency than that. Um, and that was approved. Uh, the government uh, 
approved that as kind of, it's now kind of government policy to deliver the Connecting Ireland. It's a five year programme of delivery of services. We're in year two now and we've seen. Um, so we hope to improve uh, about 70 either provide new or improved services for 70 uh, services around the country this year. Last year, um, we had incredible response to the services that we delivered. Uh, in some cases, um, on improved services, um, a 200 percent increase in passenger and rider numbers, you know, so they're off the scale, really. <laughs> and uh, we can just see um, a very positive response when you provide the opportunity for people to make a choice. Uh, even if they have a car available, they do make a choice and particularly younger people um, are making a choice to use public transport when it's available for them. So we're just con- going to continue on to deliver if the funding is available to us. It's not a, uh, a high level of expenditure. The whole programme is in around the 50, 60 million in terms of delivery. In the big scheme of things, it's not much. Um but uh, it provides huge opportunity um, right around the country and and we're getting great response to that. So um, and once we have a network in place, it's a lot easier to increase the frequency to provide, you know, evening services to open up opportunities for people to use public transport in the evening and, and the early and the late evening as well. Um, so so that's kind of uh, what we'd hope to build on in future years. So so what you're referring to there is the, you know, Irish Rail services and bus airline services, but also local link services. Local link services, yeah. Um, and is that, will that be a, um, kind of a more permanent service going forward or is it on a contractual basis at the moment with the uh, local link contracts? Well, uh, so we um, uh, took over responsibility for rural transport around 2012 and it was delivered more as a community development project um, at that time. Um, and there was demand responsive services as well as some scheduled services. So the Connecting Ireland programme is around building up the scheduled services and the delivery is either in some cases through Bus Erin, um, but also through the local link uh, services, which are managed by local link offices, um, 15 local link offices around the country on our behalf. But they're contracted to us um, and just managed locally. So there's these services would be, you know, our normal contract terms, four years. Um, and, you know, we we will keep them operating as long as they're successful and we keep getting the funding for them. Um, but we work very closely with our local link offices who, who have the knowledge on the ground uh, around delivering those. But they're delivered um, a mixture of delivery in terms of um private operators and also then uh, Bus Aaron as well. We're also uh, going to hope to pilot um, smart demand responsive services as well um, to kind of fill those gaps where a schedule service wouldn't necessarily um, uh, just wouldn't work. There isn't the volume of demand there. So um, there are many kind of app based smart development, smart um, uh, DRT um, that are in other uh, jurisdictions and we're looking to pilot uh, one of those hopefully in an urban area, um, a suburban area and also in a rural area. Um, so we're working on that at the moment. Kind of moving back again to kind of some of the challenges and with, for example, the role of bus connects. Some people maybe have a emotional attachment to some of their bus services, uh, as you might expect. And so public engagement and, and also stakeholder collaboration is obviously vital for the success of these initiatives. And how does the, the authority involve citizens, communities and also businesses in the decision making process uh, that shape transportation policies? So um, 
we we obviously I suppose pride ourselves a bit in terms of the level of engagement that we carry out in advance of the delivery of uh, programs and particularly a program like Bus Connects um, where you know we want to improve every aspect of the bus service so initially focusing on the network of services there was very extensive engagement in the lead up to the development of that of the network in Dublin and um, I think it was two or three rounds of public consultation a lot of local consultation um, and the network benefited from that local consultation because you know, what seemed to work on paper in terms of making connections between uh, parts of Dublin, um, we found from the responses we got was not what people needed in terms of their some of their services. A lot of the trip chaining that's done, uh, particularly by women, you know, wasn't reflected really in the networks that we were developing, you know. So so uh, the feedback that we got really did improve um, what we provided uh, in terms of a network. There are, uh, I suppose, challenges in terms of when you're trying to provide an integrated network. Most people want to have a direct service from A to B um, and don't want interchange. Um, But now that we've introduced the the TFI 90 fare where there's no financial penalty and when people begin to make those interchanges between modes in particular and between buses, um, it makes it an awful lot easier to kind of in, to provide a more integrated service where we're not bringing every service into the city centre. Um, and we've had uh, introduced quite a lot of um, orbital services that have become very sac- successful and grown hugely in terms of uh, the offer, both on Collins Avenue and the ones in the west of the city as well. So, um, so yeah, engagement is important. Um, and to do as much of it as you can in advance. Um, and I think uh, also to continue that engagement as much as you can when you're delivering the programme, because at some point you're now into delivery. And if you uh, have to kind of engage as you're delivering, it can be a little bit challenging. Um, but certainly our Bus Connect schemes are all the better for the engagement um, that happened, not just in advance of the infrastructure or of the network, but also in advance of the of the infrastructure as well. Be, so that was challenging, obviously, because what we were um, setting out for the Bus Connects Dublin um, core bus corridors was a very significant change in how the road space was going to be reallocated and the extent to which we wanted to um, widen the road in order to make the space for uh, sustainable transport. But working with local communities in some uh, places where there was a lot of, um, um, I suppose, concern around some of our proposals, um, we worked through with local communities on how we could actually provide for the bus priority through either bus gates um without having the same impact in terms of the road space that we were um, or the private space that we were taking and the impact that it would have on roadside trees in particular. So over a number of a uh, huge number of meetings with local residents, um, the teams got to a point where, you know, the best scheme I think that we could put forward through the planning system was arrived at. While there'll still be, you know, opposition to many aspects of it. Um, I think the work that was done by communities working with us um, got us to that point. Um, We still now need to get through the planning system and then start delivering. In terms of looking ahead then for future outlooks, what would you say are the the long-term goals and aspirations of the NTA in terms of creating a modern, efficient and sustainable transport system, um, but also in the context of maybe ensuring that we can do enough to 
reduce our carbon emissions from transport. So like it, it is hugely challenging. I mean, what what we have to do by 2030 is uh, is, I suppose, it's a huge challenge to get to a point where we've reduced our transport emissions by uh, by 50 percent. And I suppose public transport, sustainable transport has a huge role to play. Um, and our goal is really by providing as much services, as much choice for people um, so that they can make uh, the choice from um, from a car journey um, to a public transport journey where by doing that, their emissions are going to reduce, even if they um, uh, are in, in a position to have a, an electric car. So we want to ensure that uh, our infrastructure, um, our walking and cycling infrastructure is available, that it's safe to use, that it will encourage more people to use it um, and that we have as much capacity in our public transport system to provide the space for people to make the choice um, by leaving the car behind and using um, our sustainable system for not necessarily all their journeys, but a good proportion of our journeys. The challenge really is in our longer distance travel. So while we have a very clear programme about uh, changing out our fleet, electrifying our bus fleet, uh, electrifying the uh, rail fleet in our urban areas, um, it's a bit more challenging on our regional services where the distances are much longer. And actually 50% of the carbon emissions from our our public transport system come from the regional services. So we really need to, um, we hope that the the technology, whether it's battery technology or hydrogen um, and the availability of hydrogen uh, and the fleet that can use uh, hydrogen uh, becomes available to us so that that can be where we will be able, where we will find a way to try and reduce the carbon emissions on our longer distance travel. That's the big challenge. Um, So, yeah, we're just going to continue to do what we're doing now, do it as quickly as we can, work with our stakeholders and our delivery partners uh, to build the capacity, allow people the choice uh, to travel sustainably. Coming from a research background, so I'm curious to know what can the research community do to support the likes of the NTA and Department of Transport perhaps largely to assist with the you know with this uh, effort so i suppose there's a, f- a few areas that i know we we need to kind of work closely on is is the, on the technology side obviously what's available what what could become available tech from the technology um what can we do with the data that we have in order to learn more about uh, travel patterns um i suppose give us a assist us in knowing what's coming in the future, you know, because sometimes we when you're in delivery mode, it's very hard to kind of look up and see what's coming at you. And I I think uh, certainly um, researchers uh, and the the community here in UCD would assist us in knowing what's coming ahead, what what's uh, what are we facing in the future? Um, And then there's a lot on the social engineering side in terms of how to win the hearts and minds of people, you know, how are we going to make this dramatic change in how we travel? Um, And while we focus very much on the hard engineering, we need to, uh, uh, we may need some assistance on the soft engineering in in how we um, persuade people to to make the change, make that very significant change in how they travel um, and in reducing their travel how they travel um, and um, and hopefully 
overall make a better place for uh, for the people of Ireland. To wrap things up, then, uh, would you say you're 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 optimistic about the the future of transport uh, in Ireland and where we're going, and hopefully with, with more funding coming uh, down the line as well that we help support the various initiatives that the NTA are rolling out? Yeah, I'd be very optimistic. I mean, I think um, there's certainly in, in a lot of the research that's done been done recently by the. Uh, by the Department of Transport in terms of the propensity of people um, to to travel to travel sustainably to want at least there's a desire to travel sustainably so um so that's at a at a level I think that hadn't been there before so so I I'm also kind of I suppose um optimistic that you know government are very much focused on um the climate action what we have to deliver uh, they realise that it's going to come at a cost, you know, and um, I would certainly uh, be optimistic that there will be continued investment in our sustainable transport infrastructure and services. Um, and if we can continue with that, that we'll get to a point where people will be making the choice, um, the right choice in terms of the, how they travel. Well, that's all been fantastic. And thank you very much for your time and going through all these various initiatives that you're involved in. So thanks again. Thank you.